Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Documentality, part of the Friends in Your Head network at friendsinyourhead.com. Each episode, we look at two or more documentaries through the lens of a common theme. This week's theme, girl power. That is with several R's and no I's, a complete lack of vowels in girl. Do you have a preference for how many R's we use here? I'm saying five. Five I'm R's? Five R's at least. Uh, joining me th- this week is T. Christie. Hello. And editor and director extraordinaire Jessica Hernandez. Hello, Jess. Hello. So good seeing you again. It's been forever. It like has. this, this is really just an excuse for us to hang out again because we used to see each other and work with each other over many times over the years, and often complain about people and and drink and uh, <laughs> and eat sushi. <laughs> and we so and eat sushi totally. Uh, the two movies we're going to be doing this week, uh, and there's a reason why Jessica is here. The two movies we're doing this week exploring this theme of girl power, the Punk Singer, 2013 or 14. Uh, technically technically 13 2013's punk singer and 2010's yes 2010's buto we have jessica here because jessica is the editor of both films and on buto she was even more involved doing you know being on set for quite a bit of that and even if jessica wasn't here i think these films both work together i think they explore a lot of themes and just proactive kind of if you will third wave feminism which is certainly discussed in punk singer but in many ways to me at least benazir buto is as much as a punk icon as anybody else Else. I think she is, and, and not that is not to diminish her or any of her uh, contributions to the world. But I think I think there's more in common with these two ladies than less. And um, I was I I truly really really love both films, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Teague, you saw both films as well. What was your yeah, I hadn't heard of either of the... Well, I knew who Benazir Bhutto was generally because I knew that mm-hmm. she had died. And that was right. literally all I knew. Couldn't right. name the country. Didn't know what she looked like. And I hadn't heard of the girl and the punk singer either. Uh, so I kind of came into them both and let them just sort of shape my understanding of the mm-hmm. things. Um, Bhutto was freaking outstanding. Like, Thank Bhutto you. blew my mind. I was the entire time like on the edge of my seat watching this thing going, my God, how did this person happen? How, how is this a person in actual history? Um, and I really loved Buto. The punk singer I wasn't as into, but it was cool to see this whole sort of story play back, like this weirdo, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of all mm-hmm. the like larger cultural touchstones that she had wormed away through, and I had just never heard of her, but she was yes. there for all of them, like in the in the rafters for mm-hmm. every little thing that happened throughout the course of the nineties. Um, and yeah, they're both, and it's a really good pairing. Like it's it's fortunate that you have the connection to both of them, and that they're both sort of sit together so well because this is going to be a cool conversation. <laughs> but I dug both of them, and Buto especially. I loved Buto. Thank you. It's thank a, you. it's definitely a cool conversation to be had. Before we talk about the films, let's talk about you, homie. <laughs> uh, no, like just a little bit of background on yourself. How did you, you know, you and I first met in two thousand six, eight. We kind of met at Fifty One Minds, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would say somewhere around there. Somewhere around there, and then and then that Discovery show we worked on in two thousand eight is, yes, is where we became yes. became chums. Um, mm-hmm. But what what sort of led you to there? What had you done prior in film and TV and whatnot? What led you there? Um, gosh, what led me there? When it comes to like the reality stuff, money led me there. <laughs> sure, yeah, right. <laughs> like, that's, I think that speaks um, for most of us. You know, and I and what I always find was actually that allowed me to take these time off to do docs that would not pay that well. And, you know, right. um, so I always found it to be sort of like a creative trade. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we were talking off camera. I started, it was a complete accident that I began. Did I just hit that too? That's fine. You're okay. fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, I was an assistant at HBO mm-hmm. and just totally thought I could make a trailer of about a movie that they were having a lot of trouble getting someone to make one for them. Do you remember show- what movie that was? Um, I believe it was, um, 
Oh my gosh, this is just say Citizen Kane. Just say yeah, <laughs> Citizen Kane, man. <laughs> Citizen Kane or The Citizen Sopranos, Kane. whatever. Yeah, yeah there well, it, was actually, it was Citizen Kane. <laughs> is Empire Falls? Empire Falls, yeah, I remember that. Okay, actually, and it was Paul Newman was in yeah. it. And, um, Dude, they needed something for TCA. I remember that's okay. what it was, and so I had a run and I made this thing, and um, I I remember this was this is how old it was. Is that I had gotten the idea by playing music behind two VHS that I would like hit right. pause <laughs> and, and like, yeah, that would edit. I think that's going to edit together. And then I told them I had an idea. They'd shown me where the final cut was upstairs. And they said, here's like, here's how you, you know, push these three buttons and you'll at least get it into the timeline. Right. And that's cool. I had totally forgotten that. I bought two VCRs at one point to do the same thing a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's crazy. I just dated myself. I know, right? Um, but um, yeah, and then I made it and they really liked it, used it. And I did like four more, but I was just an assistant who was sure. cutting trailers. And so I just was like, this is what I want to do. Right. And I had also always wanted to direct and it never occurred. To, I didn't know how much power the editor had, creative power, sure, yeah. you know, and shaping it. And um, I think... It's best explained as you have great influence with no authority because mm -hmm. it's somebody else's final decision sometimes. You know, on Budo, it wasn't. I was able right. to make a lot of the final decisions. But um, Punk Singer, you know, it was mainly me and Tamara Davis together finishing this film. And so, I mean, you are in collaboration, though I think a lot of times the editor has to direct the director, you know, bring them in to, to what, hey, the audience is going to want to see this. I know you love this, but... Will they understand why you love it? You know, right. as, as editors, we're often in, in in some ways we're the voice of reason. Sometimes we're a bully. Sometimes we're a, a, a counselor. Diva. Well, you're an advocate <laughs> so, for the unknown person's context of what they're watching. I always I always liken it to like kind of like what you said. We're, all, we're we advocate for the audience. I think in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, and we a, we advocate. It's like okay, it doesn't matter what has happened. It doesn't matter what you remember on set. None of those memories you have of making this thing will really translate to this thing. You know, the re, the the viewer of this is going to absorb it on their own. So. You have to sort of you have to sort of speak for the audience to the director, and exactly. in that way, you're speaking truth to power in a lot of ways. Exactly. So you were so you worked at HBO. You eventually made your way out to Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I was here, and then um, I moved over. I think because I could take this reel with all these very cool stuff. Yeah, on it. cool yeah. stuff on it. I actually found myself in reality really quickly mm -hmm. as an editor. Like I never assistant edited. I just kind of like conned my way in. Lucky. And um, <laughs> to awesome. be truth be told, I actually conned my way in and not even knew, didn't know the avid. Like I, I learned the final cut, but I didn't know the Avid. See, I was reversed. I, I, I knew Avid very well for my internship, but I didn't know Final Cut. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I read that book. I think everybody read, which is Final Cut for Avid users. Exactly. And then I just kind of taught myself on the job. Yeah, I, I taught myself on the job too. And um, a friend of mine had called and I said, do you think I can get away with this? You know, I don't know the Avid at all. Was that Amanda? Um, it wasn't Amanda. Amanda gave me that job. Amanda's the one who hired me at the yeah, doing mine. Yeah, she hired me. And to um, this day, I don't know how Amanda got my resume, but she called me one day and was like, me too. I don't know how that was. So, oh, yeah, we want you in here. And she paid like way above my rate. And I'm like, y yeah, of course. Yeah, she's the one that just slid me right through. Like, and I don't know how she got my resume either, but it so clearly funny. faded, faded. It's like that to talking me. head song. Our friend Amanda Risplinski, she's a great post supervisor. We've worked, we both worked with her since on various things. Though this so. was a friend of mine, Chris Lockwood, that I called up. Because I said, okay, they want to offer me this job, but I don't know Avid. He, he's an, an editor as well. Right. And um, Was the subtext like, should I continue lying until they just go with me on it? Or? Yeah. Or like, how big a lie? Like, am I going to like... Just, is, is this Ocean's is, Eleven right. that I'm like about to pull off here? Is this <laughs> yeah, some, exactly. sort of edit heist? How bad is this? And he said something that I thought was really interesting and insightful. He said, you know, you know how to tell a story. I can't teach you that. Yes. I can teach you 
how to use an avid like yeah, and exactly. you can call me and i always kept on thinking in my head i'm like look it's kind of the best job to cheat at because you're in a locked room by yourself right. so yeah. like you can call a lifeline like someone can <laughs> as long as you know another editor somebody can like how do you vo i yeah, have no exactly. idea they can walk you through it usually you know so that makes it a little easier a little to slide easier. through um but yeah and <laughs> you know so as cool. i was doing that like i just volunteered on everything i was i did have a lot to do with um I'd gotten into film independence project involved. Right. So I had a mentorship, but that was actually when I still wanted to direct. And I had Leslie Linkeglatter, who's actually a really, really successful um, television director. I mean, she's just now she does all Mad Men. And yeah. I mean, she's a really big deal. Damn. Um, but um, my relationship with film independent continued. You know, they're very mm -hmm. once you're in like the kind of help you find jobs and and i or you know once i told them they had moved into editing they kind of helped me that way yeah. and um so yeah i volunteered on this film called the guard no i got the job on the garden and i was one of the editors on this documentary and that was my very first documentary and then you did after that you did bomb it if yeah I remember, which is yes. a great documentary which i'd love to actually do on the show one of these days bomb it is i think i watched a, bomb it. yeah is that on netflix for a while yeah, it's, it's, yeah, on it Nef it's it still is. on netflix mm -hmm. i think now yeah. it's i highly recommend that one that's about um uh the global graffiti tagging movement yeah. as an art form and yeah, it's I really good it. it's really raw it's got it's got i would even say it's like in some ways more and less polished than Dogtown. It's very rough around the edges, but it's got this energy and this life to it, which I certainly attribute a lot to you because that there's definitely, you know, I always say good editors, you don't always necessarily see them. You don't always feel their presence in the final product. It just feels organically like it is. But Bomb It is one of those documentaries where you feel the hand of the editor, I think, to its benefit. Like you feel that thing. And, and I, I, that was like, when you gave me a disc of that, I watched, I'm like, I'm like, Homegirl knows what she's doing. Like this is this is excellent stuff, and uh, I was a big fan of that one. To thank begin you, with. thank you. And I was I was cutting with another really talented Alec, uh, editor named Alex Marquez. Yes. So the two of us, um, and I learned a lot from him. I would say I, I mean everyone I kind of take a piece of advice from, and sure. he really pushed me to. Um, he'd say when you edit like out out of the box, like the imagery you use, like go instinctual like it doesn't have to be literal at all go nuts and we'll pull it back which i think you know? is I like think the is, abstract tone cut yeah a little bit like um for example like one moment in there that that i kind of did that was um in france like there's this he went all over and part of it was talking about public space and who owns it and 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 who can speak in it and in france um the disenfranchised are a lot of the arabs mm -hmm. so they were talking to these kids right outside of like the main area of paris talking about how why they write and you know like it's all we have and uh, we feel like gods there or something. Mm -hmm. And I found this, the, and then they made like, they, they all posed, you know, in some <laughs> funny way. And I found um, a Renaissance painting mm. where they looked similar, you know? And so I just flashed to it, even though it has nothing to do with anything. Like it just yeah. felt right. And I still love that edit, you know? And it's like this really, but I don't know that I would have thought to do that also. Do yeah. that if Alex hadn't sort of been like, push yourself in this direction yeah. of like where do you go with this how, how do how do two people edit a thing like i guess I, i'm curious for mm -hmm. both of you i guess but how do two how do you co-edit a thing do you well, just like some guy someone does half the other person does half or are you both there like, all the time in that in that that project lent itself to it mm -hmm. in a way that most wouldn't like even though punk singer has two editors i never worked with him right you know like we just took over after you know right, right, right. but um on um on bomb it like it since it's country based like they literally ah, right. so it was like you take i took brazil he took japan right. you know and then um 
I mean, in putting it together, like, you know, at some point, we kind of have to like, okay, I took the back, you took the front, now now it's together, you know, and the director's kind of watching us both um, in order to have that happen. Um, so the director's really the one making sure the eagle eye, right. that yeah. the back is going to match, you know, even though we constantly were talking, it wasn't like cool. anything yeah. like that. Once you're done with that, do you go back through and go, you know, it, it, like the music equipment will be mastering where you put all the tracks together and go, okay, now let's make sure they're all tied in together sort of deal. And sort of, but it was so personality based, like, um, uh-huh. you know, it, like, it's like little revs, yeah, revs, you know, in New York had a very like hardcore, you know, metal sort of sound, you know, which yeah. is not what you would hear in Barcelona. You know, it, it's very different. He so was the one profiling. Who, he was the one who would literally like drill actual metal things into the concrete. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. That, that that guy was so hardcore. I loved yeah. him so much. Going back to what you said earlier about um, uh, about you know being non literal with your imagery, matching what the person is talking about. That's that's a great point to bring up because. A lot of people, I think, when they're first attempting documentaries, even if it's just a personal project, they they tend to fall in this trap of you know literally matching the image, and then it's they run into invariably they run into I'm out of footage because I'm out of literal things to match up with that, and mm-hmm. I think it's instructive just for the documentary process. You know, our, the the viewer's brain can do a couple things at once, and it can subconsciously absorb the image while also getting the information from you know the sound bite or the mm-hmm. interview clip or the whatever audio it is you're playing. And then on top of that, your sound design, your music can also inform the tone. Mm-hmm. The brain can actually exercise more than what's going on. And I think I want to seg that into just talking about punk singer because I think that was one thing the the doc did really well because I think in a in another editor's hands, it could have just been a collection of talking heads and the B roll and the coverage could have just been montages, montages and non-informative. And I think one thing you guys did really well on the film is even if it was just a random, you know, if, if they were talking about the background of Kathleen Hanna, uh, and even if it was just a random performance for whatever reason, it always worked. It always, I always got the sense that what I was watching even if it wasn't literally what they were talking about, I always felt like, okay, I'm, I'm in this time. I'm, I'm in her head not just from hearing her words and hearing people speak about her, but also just, it just matched, you know, the mm-hmm. energy, the energy of what she was doing on screen in the, in the coverage perfectly matched. I think in almost every instance, what information I was learning about her. And, uh, so talk about punk, how did you get punk singer? How did you come aboard that? Um, well I edit on a TV series called single ladies. Right. And, um, our house director is Tamara Davis. Right. And um, the punk singer, uh, well, Tamara, sorry, Tamara Davis is married to Mike D of the Beastie Boys. Oh, okay. And <laughs> Kathleen Hanna is married to Adam right. Horowitz, who's the other remaining Beastie Boy yeah. living. And um, there was, um, the documentary had been sort of shot, but was... Just sitting there. Yeah, there wasn't, it, it was, there wasn't, it was not, it was, yeah, it was definitely at a stop. And um, Kathleen needed something to happen with it. So she called her filmmaker friend, right. Tamara, and said, hey, can you help get this somewhere? Because right now it's not, not forming. Anyway. Now, it looked, and I don't mean to cut you off, mm-hmm. but it looked like, it looked like many of the interviews with Kathleen were done over many different periods. Yes, yes. And that was, um, that was the director's original concept right. um, that didn't uh, and Shooting that's what didn't pods, materialize yeah. during the edit or it just didn't work was a concept of um, seasons so she mm. she did shoot her through seasons and that was the, what she wanted to uh, create as a I can see where that would that was going yeah but there but story-wise there was no through line there was no through line right. so like great the through line being seasons mm-hmm. 
is not enough to sustain a future. Not at all. So um, it was interesting. To, I mean, what I saw was, in my opinion, an assembly. Right. You know, um, and what what was exciting was to be able to see it like a piece of marble. Like you're like, there's a movie in here. There's yeah. there's a really great movie to yank out of here. Take away all the parts that aren't that movie. Yeah. yeah you know, um, and so we we didn't start from scratch, but we kind of I mean, we we dissected it. I mean, we took it apart. We disassembled it and then um, and also pulled in other you know, interview bites that she didn't use per se, or he didn't have in the cut. And, um, we also, um, did a few pickup interviews mm -hmm. like Tamara's in it, Tam yeah. you know? And so it was like, we, uh, that was one story that I felt was sort of lacking in, in the original was the, their love story, her and Adam, which I thought was, which really, was one of the best parts of that whole thing. I, Ta yeah, I love that. And talk was, about an unlikely pair. Mike D of the BC boys who as Kathleen and just a little bit of background, Kathleen, Hannah, was the lead singer of a band I was very familiar with growing up in high school, you know, in, in the in the early 90s, a band called Bikini Kill, which was part of this punk, you know, what they identify in the film as third wave feminism, um, you know, girls to the front, just aggressive, but wholly feminine punk rock music that had uh, that. And she was one of the co-founders of this movement called the Riot Girl Movement, which was really about reclaiming sexuality, identity, and, and all these things that me as a straight white male am probably not qualified to speak on. But um, but she she was a big part of certainly a lot of my friends' lives growing mm -hmm. up. And then she went on to form this band, La Tigre, who I actually was a legit fan of, and I had seen perform. And then she kind of fell off, and the movie kind of explores that as sort of like what she's been up to. But Kathleen Hanna, she's such a, a fascinating person uh, that, and, and then when you think of like of all the people for her to end up with, she ends up with with Adam, Adam, Ad, yeah, Ad Rock of uh, of of the BC Boys, who they they talk about in the film. It's the most unlikely pairing, but it is wholly sweet and functional. And if you weren't familiar with the story, you're like, okay, but they don't say together. No, they're still married and happy, and they're wonderful. Oh, great, they win at life. Yeah, like, I they're think amazing. I think they're very sweet, and I, yeah, and I thought their story was very sweet and. Um, Kathleen did want her story told singularly by women. Right. And Adam is the only man in the movie. Right. But it felt it, it felt, felt appropriate. Now, when you say you did pickup interviews, I noticed some some interview setups kind of towards the beginning. They were done almost. They were filmed almost in like the back of a van. Yeah. No. 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 That wasn't our pickups. That that was shot the same day as the end of the the movie, where they they have sort of like the concert for her. Yes. Right. Um. That was shot that night. Okay, so the van it. was sort of outside, and all these bands were playing tribute to her. There was like a ton yeah. of bands that played that night, and it was mainly like female driven, and they were either young, old, you know, all over the map. And so I think the idea yeah. was, you know, they could take them out to the van and shoot a lot of people, like from Joan Jett to everybody else right. in between, and get them all out there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was it was a cool little. It was it's almost like I liked it so much. I almost wish there was like more of that to like to kind of to mm -hmm, kind of come back mm -hmm. to because it, it was such a cool setup. At it least. was a very cool setup. Yeah, yeah I really think. Were so. you familiar with her nice or the bands or anything like that before you came to this project? Like, um, had you heard of them? Or uh, yeah, I, I had heard. I'd, yes, um, I grew up in Huntington Beach, so punk music had definitely yeah, been right? on the radar for me. Um, but um, again, with Budo and with actually, I mean, all of the dogs, I think. Um, I had an interest in her, but not till I delved in. I mean, then you become like an expert, right? You're right. just swimming in the topic, you yeah. know, and you learn so much. And I think what I try to do as an editor is as excited as I'm getting about the topic, I want that to come through in the edit. You know, like if I tell, I, I have spoken with people and, and seen their footage where I was at Sundance, let's say, and 
uh, this guy came up to me and he had this great idea for a documentary and he was telling me about it. And I thought, this is amazing. And then he he showed, he sent me some footage, you know, and I was like, what he said and what I have in my hands, two different worlds. Yeah. They don't match. Um, and I told him that, you know, I was very honest about it. Um, and I was like, but the way, if you can capture what you're talking about, that's that's what you need, yeah. you know, um, and convince the audience this is as cool as you know it is. Yeah, you know, but that excitement was somehow lost in the lens. I don't know. And what that ulti- happened. that ultimately, like when we talk about access to the film, like I think that's why access to your subject uh, and a closeness to your subject is is so necessary. I think in documentary because if you're not a fan of what of the story you're selling, it's not going to pro- come across, and nobody's going to be interested, mm-hmm. even people who are into the subject. You yeah, know? yeah, and if it's not told in a dynamic way, it's just Right. Not going to work. So how did now you guys also had uh, a, there was a, also a crowdfunding element to that was Cindy, that the original director. She right. sort of did that to okay. get started. And I think that's what she's that's how I don't know much about Cindy's process Got as it. far as the budget or how she but I know it was a Kickstarter. I know that that's how she sort of I don't know how she uh, got to Kathleen originally. Um, I don't think they were, you know, friends prior right. to making this. Um, nor do I think they're, you know, I think that they made the doc and, you know, that's it. But, um, she was, that money allowed her to get an editor and, and shoot what she did. Um, and then what they had run out of money, that sort of thing. They ran out and, uh, what their content they had wasn't able to raise any more money. Um, so then Tamara came in as a producer and put in money. Right. And move forward. Did Tamara so. take over as director credit, or was no? Or she got a producer got a producer credit. credit, and so Cindy was the yeah was and, the director of, of record. And she so was I, I was never like I will uh, to me the creative Tamara and I created it. Gotcha. In the in the edit bay because it's also interesting, and we'll we'll get into it more when you work with with Budo. But you were also with it was another instance of like first time directors. So in terms of like first time director on a doc, mm-hmm. you know, what, what sort of pitfalls do you see a lot of first time directors in the documentary? If, even if let's, let's say they're a mm-hmm. experience in narrative, what, what a lot of pitfalls that you see first time doc directors make? Gosh, let's see. Actually, she may be one of the only first time doc directors. Most of my other ones have, yeah. have done multiple, but I think, um, uh, in certain cases, I think that in general, I can say this, but it applies yeah. to punk singer too, is that, um, if your agenda, if you have one and it's, it's not really in line with the story sure. and you try to shoehorn it in, it's going to feel like that, you mm. know? Um, I think then, so I find that directors that are just already missing the mark in what they are, are trying to elicit, um, I think can create an inherent problem once you're yeah. in the edit bay. Um, I, you know, I, and I, again, and I'll like get in this same idea. There's, there was an, a woman who wanted me to do this other doc, and I ended up kind of like, no, this is not going to work. Um, she had a very specific, you know, um, direction she wanted to go, and I was like, opposite. And she thought, oh, this is great. We're opposite. Like, this is good. And I said, no, I don't believe in anything you want to put in this documentary. Like, right. Budo, I was, you know, there were things that I think, like, I don't know the answer. So I'm going to give you both and there. Yeah. You know, which some people got upset about. Some people be like, you didn't give me an answer. Right. I said, well, there isn't an answer. It would be a lie to skew it. Right. And say, this is how it went down. I got these stories. Which one do you want to pursue? Which one yeah. is your preference? Yeah. Which ultimately is what a, a huge chunk of directing documentaries is, I think, is just it's it's 
preference of because you're never gonna be able to tell the whole story of anything so it's which story do you really want to focus on which story do you prefer as Mm -hmm. your perspective which if you're directing a documentary you owe it to yourself to have a perspective on the material and Mm -hmm. on the story and i think with you know with 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 punk singer there was definitely a a, a perspective that was had there that to me felt unified and clean Mm -hmm. It, it painted a very fair portrait of kathleen i feel like did you get to interface with kathleen personally a lot or after the fact or um, not very much like right. matter but like you know what i mean like in fact she still has her ups and downs right so it wasn't like you know um and like in with, fact, her, with her yeah okay with, we're, with we're, get, we're getting into a little bit of a spoilers here but uh basically go watch punk singer pause mm-hmm. go watch it come back you're back okay good um so the big as as discussed in the film uh, Kathleen sort of fell off. She just right at the kind of the height of La Tigra's popularity, she just stopped and everybody was wondering why and what has she got planned next? And she kind of fell off. And the reason was she came down with a very severe case of Lyme disease that pretty much incapacitated her for a great amount of time. And so in any creative endeavor she has now, it's just something she's got to sort of grapple with. And if you're unfamiliar with Lyme disease, it's extraordinarily common. Uh, but I love the doctor's soundbite where he's like, imagine you're Superman and you just met kryptonite. Yeah, exactly. It it's just, just knocks out your whole thing. The whole system. Is some of the most compelling footage in there is her first day on her meds where the doctor and it's over the doctor saying, you know, when you start the medication process in many ways, it awakens the worst of the disease. And you just see mm-hmm. this poor woman just twist in the wind. And she's just, she's, you know, she's such about it's asserting like control. House. And, and thematically, this is what I loved most about punk singer is that, it was the notion and the idea that she was this revolutionary figure who was all about women, you know, about a, a, what you really considered a revolution in, in terms of uh, women asserting their own agency and their own. And then she's like, but in the end, what she had to realize more than anything is she had to turn that philosophy towards herself. Mm-hmm. She had to learn, you know, she had to learn, she had to basically follow her own advice. And I think that was, you know, I think that to me, that was like, you know, there's kind of a plot through line, which is just her biography. And then there's a thematic through line, which I felt was really nicely summed up there. Was that something conscious on you or Tamara's part? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, Lyme disease and bringing that in was definitely, Cindy was very uh, interested in that. She sure. had it herself. Oh, okay. Um, and in, in fact, I know a lot of people with it more right. than, and very debilitating, but um, we, in, yes, we were very aware of like creating that dual, um, sort of line and, and I, I really do that in a lot of films like I don't think that they can exist as films I think otherwise they're a history channel hour exactly you know um, if you don't have like a larger context for things you know and the fe- you know feminism's larger context of things you know and um, and the fact that she would shout and people would ignore her was yeah. sort of something that we wanted to like bring through that like she would scream and I mean she 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 demanded to be heard right but right. even within it there was so much negativity thrown at her for it you know um that it wasn't simple it wasn't like oh okay we'll just listen to her it, it came with a great deal of stress you know yeah um so yeah that was a through line that we definitely consciously were trying to hit the one thing that I wanted in there that didn't end up going in was I wanted to tie it full circle into pussy riot because um that that's awesome that would have been that great. is I mean like you said what I found fascinating about Kathleen that I didn't know um and that I really wanted to put in the doc was 
she she was strangely at all these points in history yep. that like really like if she hadn't gotten drunk that night there'd be no teen smells like teen spirit, spirit. Yeah. you know like she's this is such like a random <laughs> yeah she's she is the force gump of punk <laughs> music that's, you know? that's a great way of putting it and then tamra did that interview with her that they show in the doc where she's got a mask the ski mask over, yeah ski mask over her face and like pussy riot took riot girl and use that i mean yeah. they took these things totally I mean, could have made that connection yeah and uh, the, don't so, think now i haven't seen the the pussy riot doc on hbo that they recently did you know i haven't either i really I, need to I, I, I wonder if they directly acknowledge bikini kill or riot i don't girl. know i'm very I, I would curious hope they well, do. riot girl seems like it'd be more similar just sort of because what i understand about pussy riot is that it's more of a collective than a band and like it evolves right. and it's people can just mm-hmm. apply that label as to sort it, of yeah. a as sort of a non yeah non branding branding sure. sort of deal mm-hmm. which and was so, sort of how riot girl worked too right and, exactly yeah. in exactly. a similar way and this is going to sound really odd until you actually understand but chumbawamba people know it for that one hit wonder song but they were actually an anarchist collective they they had a they had a philosophy behind them and they just happened to become famous for this weird drinking party anthem um, yeah, people don't know this, but the band Rednecks, their song Cotton Eye Joe actually had a deeper undertone to it. I'll tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, no, that, that would have been great to, to tie it into, because it's not just, it's not just the fact that she uh, was there during an influential time. It's, it's, she has direct influence over sort of another generation. Yes, yes. And I believe that actually She right titled Smells Like Teen Spirit and probably inspired it. Yes. yes. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right directly. off the bat, that is such a weird piece of trivia Anyway, right. yeah, like, yeah, one that I didn't even, growing up knowing Bikini Kill. Yeah, it. I mean, it, and being in high school, right at the height of like grunge, I I thought it was grunge. That's where he came from. Exactly. He came from Seattle. I had no idea that there was this like feminist punk root to everything yeah. he did. And then you listen to his songs, and you're like, "There's a song called Rape Me," and they're like, "Yeah, it's clear." Like it seems so clear once you know this. He it really, that, really looking back on it, Kurt Cobain was it does not. I don't think get as much acknowledgement. Uh, at, you know, as sort of like a feminist thinker, that then he should mm-hmm. have. Like his music is so directly informed by feminism, mm-hmm. and when you when you study his biography, you see just how important the women in his life were, and um, and so and it just it just makes sense. It's like mm-hmm. it's like looking back. It's like once you know who the the who done it and the murder mystery, like of course yeah. it was this person. But but the but that whole time period, grunge was like wrapped in masculinity. Yes, you assumed it because of that yeah. and and i think that was sort of her point right like I, you know it, I, I played in a shitty punk band in high school and uh like a, we were we were trying to be the band's name no god <laughs> okay <laughs> uh at one point we were hinge at one point we were insomnia at one point we were oh, fucking hell. Uh, at one point we were uh cardinal sin wow uh, yeah we were like we're trying to be prog we were trying to be yes meets <laughs> punk we were trying to be like this yep. weird shit but we played a lot of shitty party shows and it was just I hated performing like I hated playing live because it was just so, it was just choked with masculinity and just choked with dickery and like that was what was so refreshing about like my friends who were into Bikini Kill and stuff like that is that it, it's like they they raged as it were but in such a in a different way and like mm-hmm. in a way that was more about celebration and and in many ways had more to do with like the rave scene than with than with necessarily punk scene but right. you know um, let's talk a little bit about process what was your how long were you on the picture for? Um, I think, I mean, we, we really fixed that very quickly. I think like a month, month and a half. You banged that out in like six weeks. So you, you, there was an, there was basically a string out. You essentially Mm -hmm. had a string out of, and for, for people unfamiliar with the process, like there's many different ways to assemble a documentary. 
Um, you know, you hear the phrase radio cuts where it's a story with no music and maybe no even coverage. You hear the phrase, you know, scene assemblies. Maybe you take a scene similar to bomb it. You took a country and you string it out and then you shape it down and you whittle it down. Editing is not something you do once. It's something you do 90 times and then another 90 after that. Um, but for you to take essentially a string out and then in six weeks, make a feature length film that was tight and, that, that's 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 very impressive like that's really, really I, don't cool. think, I mean I, it was really the two of us like Tamara really didn't leave my I moved sure. into her house and like awesome we I slept basically right near the edit bay I mean it got to the point where I was like I gotta go I would stay with our friend Amanda that we discussed earlier Amanda was oh yeah, nice you cool. know or sometimes um oh I, was it in New York yeah it was in New oh York. okay that makes sense yeah so um so sometimes I would escape Right. Um, I was going to say, you have an awesome place in L.A. Why would you ever leave that place? Like, what well, you know, that's that's cool. But it's in New York. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, who's going to turn down a chance to actually live with Mike D for a month or so? Right. That's, um, that's, a, fair, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. <laughs> but it was fun. They were very gracious and it was really sweet and wonderful. Um, but um, yeah, so we would edit from there and she was there every day next to me. Like it wasn't there's many directors that will, you know, here's the footage see ya you right, know right. um that was not the process like we sat in there and like for better or worse like kill each other like for yeah. a couple days you know um there was definitely like this moment of like you know um what but, creative process doesn't yeah, have exactly that, though, um yeah. and then uh, actually it was funny because we had that sort of moment and then from there on it was like a burst like we just straight through right. you know i think it was just trying to figure out how to um how to proceed under such time constraints sure um so she would want to move on sometimes where i was like this is you can't move on from this you know like i need a second need some more attention. Yeah, yeah you know uh, but we figured out how i said okay we can do this and then you'll go to sleep and i'll fix that like and you know right. I, I figured out the rhythm of how like when to go back when i could do certain things you know um but um, the workflow worked itself out. And so what, yeah, we, she would have a book with just interviews. So I, we would just take it the way I take all of these. And I think some people do get very overwhelmed by projects with the amount of footage yeah. that these, these ones I've taken on have from Bomit. Bomit had hundreds and hundreds of hours of graffiti artists. Right. Um, Punk Singer had quite a bit of footage of her and lots of hours of, of interviews was okay. We're going to start here. I mean, Tamara already had some index cards. So, we, you know, we got the index cards up. We know where we want to go, basically, even though I think that moves around very quickly, you know. Um, and it's like, go. Okay, find me. I need a bridge to here. Yeah. You know, or if I find the bridge, it's like, okay, give me everything in the middle. Or where's this? I'm very like that. I need my transitions. You need I the need connective things. tissue. Yeah. You need an organic. We're talking about this, which organically leads to talking about, about this. That, you know, and so that's literally how we'd go through it. And yeah. what I wouldn't do and what I would do at night is really kind of B-roll it. Yeah. And do all the fun stuff. Like sure. the fun stuff's what I couldn't do. Right. You know, during the day. But we would structure it like at breakneck speed right you know um and that's what we that's what we got done was right. like i can if we can get that there then we can polish this stuff off you know but it's actually really hard sometimes um when you're doing that to start off and a director or somebody wants to see something i that's what i find annoying that i have to stop the structure oh yeah to like to do some style to do a style like on five minutes so that they can just to finesse it so they can look at it so they can look at it where you're just like that's not right my time would be so much better totally. spent if i could just arc it completely 
and then go back and and do the fun stuff. I'm like, I just need to put the underwear on, <laughs> right? You know, like before got, the hat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for me, for me, it's like, and and you're totally. I usually wear the hat first. Yeah. But, well, like, you know? what, what's what's more fun than walk around your house with no underwear but a hat? Uh, I, I I go with a beanie, a nice little skull cap. You know. Thank um, you for getting dressed today, Eddie. You're welcome. <laughs> for you, my friend. Um, no, for see for for me, and you're absolutely right. That I think regard documentary or any kind of TV, I think. I think that's so important for me. The balance that I've tend to find is like I, I do a one to five ratio. So if I can give you one solid minute of super styled whatever, mm-hmm. and then I then especially in the beginning, I, I find I can get away with the next five to ten minutes just being loose right. as long as they get an idea of where you're going for. I think that's so important because one thing as editors, I think we have to forget is that as directors, it, once they hit post, they really feel powerless. Yeah. There's this element of when you're on set, whether it's documentary or not, you've, you've, you're in, the director's in control. The director's telling people what to do. They're telling where to go, where to set this up. Everyone looks to the director for answers. Once you hit post, that power structure inverts. And it's... I wouldn't have thought of that. That's a good insight. The director is just like, okay, let's see this. Okay, give me 45 minutes and I will give that for you, mm-hmm. but no sooner. Or maybe not at all, depending on what it is you're doing. Right. So I think, I think in, in some ways, you need to give them that little caveat of just here's 30 to 60 seconds of what's in your head and enjoy. Yay. Mm-hmm. You did it. Now let's do the real work, Yeah, which is, yeah. which is the, the unglamorous work of editing, especially editing a documentary is it's like a hammer on an anvil. Yeah. Just forge welding this shit into submission. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, and, and it's really, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up style because one thing that was like, kind of surprising at first but that I really appreciated over time was for a you know a documentary about ostensibly punk rock music the punk rock scene of the, of the late 80s early 90s you would I think the average person would naturally think oh visually this is going to be nuts this is going to be but I really appreciated the fact that it was just very clean and not fussy and that editorially you weren't overly unnecessarily stylistic with presenting the footage well, for specifically on that one, we were definitely kind of um, taking our, you know, our inspiration from her zines. Yeah. You know, so it was like they're really basic. So let's keep with that sort of raw cool. punk cutout style. Yeah. You know, um, and so that was definitely intentionally. Literally cut and paste. Yeah. Yeah. Cut and paste. Yeah, and if you haven't seen the film, Kathleen Hanna, before anything else, before she was a singer, she was a spoken word artist. And she, while making music, she ran these independent magazines, zines, as they were called. Nowadays, they're called blogs, kids. But they're ba- coming back. Zines are coming zines back? Zines are coming back. I'm uh, glad, man. Tam- Tamara just uh, Instagrammed this thing in Brooklyn, a huge zine festival going on. The makers of Comic-Con, uh, Comic-Con is the huge monolith of popular culture. They also do WonderCon, but people forget the third convention they run is called APE, Alternative Press Expo. It's always in San Francisco at the Moscone Center. And it's just all about zines. I've and never even thing, heard of APE. APE, yeah. If you go to the website, you can find it. APE. It's, and their logo is a little gorilla. And it's just it's just all about That's zines. It's a different animal. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, totally. I know. It's just a capuchin monkey. Uh, no, but it's, it's, a, it's a whole... I'm glad to see that zines are coming back. because. Because there was an air of zines that were like, it felt exclusive and in the club, a blog mm-hmm. anybody can go to. But if you have right. a zine in your hand, you're fucking cool. You and know. I mean, like I'm old school too. There's something about it that's at least like you can hold it, mm-hmm. you can touch it. Just, yeah, I mean, you it's, you're holding someone's hard work. Yeah. I just like the aesthetic too. So after yeah. after um, after you guys finished your six week 
uh, whirlwind whirlwind <laughs> of editing that that blows me away. Yeah, I I, I would have thought three months. Like I would have thought like, but you probably did three months worth of work in. Yeah, we did it very quickly, and then Bo came back on, which was the original, the original editor, editor. Sure. Um, and he did all the finish. You know, like title. You know, anything else, anything else that had to get done got right. done. Um. With him, so that. But it's fair to say that you did the 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 leg work, the elbow grease. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to deny. Like Bo did work too. Of course, I mean, like it wasn't he did, but um, structurally, I believe, like Tamara and I built that structure. I I believe wholeheartedly. Documentaries live and die by structure. Even if the subject is not necessarily interesting, a person will watch through a documentary if the structure is there. If a structure is not there, let's just say a documentary like I don't know after porn ends. Um, I felt that film really lacked a solid structure and the film suffered directly for it mm-hmm. and took what was normally otherwise compelling stories and let them just fall through your fingers because the structure was not there. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people can get away with some beautiful verite that, that sure. I've never really cut a whole lot of verite. I must admit now that I'm thinking about it, you right. know, I was watching paycheck for, to paycheck the other yes. night on HBO and I was thinking to myself, Oh, it's been a long time since I've seen like a DA Pennebaker style. Yeah, yeah. Very just, it's just, unfolding slice of life makes you very grateful for everything you've ever had. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, but it, it's just very <coughs> other than a, sim, and a simple act or small act. I'm sorry. A small act was like that. And it yeah. was really beautiful too, but it's, it's rare. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an art. Cutie and the Boxer was a recent documentary yes. that I really thoroughly enjoyed. And 2013 was a ridiculous year for documentaries. Yeah, we had some yeah. amazing stuff. Active killing. Active killing. Stories we tell. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of. Cutie in the Box. Right? 20 feet from stardom. You know it's a good year when the one that wins the Oscar is like the fifth best. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It's like it's like, the, it's like the fifth or sixth best documentary you've seen that year. Yeah. And Cutie in the Boxer was part of that. I think, I think people will look at the class of 2013 as one of these pivotal years, years mm-hmm. of like pushing the genre forward yeah um so after you you're done um in terms of did you guys do the festival circuit or did you just go direct went to, to no it went to south by southwest it started open there i mean yeah. it, some, it seemed pretty um i mean timing wise it was perfect literally we were done in like january so yeah. you know um but it seemed very appropriate for a music festival totally. to have punk singers so um and i think it did a little bit a few more on the circuit sundance selects bought it so it's, it's got a home right um um, and it had, you know, the release, it had a limited release in theaters. I don't know what the TV deal is. I'm not sure. Or if it just went to Netflix and it won't have a TV. I right. have no idea anymore how this works. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, uh, distribution for independent film. It's in some ways the best of times and in some way the worst of times. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you just don't know. Yeah. Like there's just, you buy it and then it gets bundled and then it gets... It, you it ends up it's oh it's in Peru on okay great uh, sure like money exactly. no 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 money okay no, all right yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's the one's constant yeah no money no money, no no money. money. yeah um I, I spoke at my high school last year and they're like um you know what what you know what recommendation do you have for getting into documentaries I'm like don't if you like money uh do something else if you if money is your thing this is not the thing to do um but there are i mean there are you know 30 for 30 pays really well if you happen to do a mm-hmm. sports documentary mm-hmm. as i'm sort of discovering and there are avenues and there are channels but um ha- have you is that's ca- tv that's, if you ask, exactly that's, that's paying reality numbers really yeah like, you know exactly. it's really it's just another tv it's espn's right very elegant right you know version but it, that's you know yeah but but again it's like i think you know it kind of goes back to the larger question of tv versus movies these days and mm-hmm. the fact is there's so much quality stuff on tv it's not it's like yeah, yeah my documentaries are on tv and that's exactly where they should be yeah there's yeah you know? there's nothing wrong exactly like it, it the delivery is 
not necessarily any the most important though. yeah you mm-hmm. know before it was such a hierarchy and i mean there's certain people that still adhere to it you know that like movies are still it right you know but um it's just so much harder to differentiate. I mean, the fact that Soderbergh said, oh, you know, I, I, I don't need to make a film anymore because he'd, he'd done the, con, you know, behind the candelabra, but yeah. that's a film. I, you know, I don't understand. As good as any I, other I, movie. I, I yeah. find it like a very strange differentiation about it because yeah. there's no, I, it's still a film just because it aired on HBO TV doesn't make it any less one. It's yeah. as, it's, I don't understand it, it, his it, distinction. It's as yeah. much of a film as anything else. How important was it that you guys, you know, it was a female producer, female director, female editor, like how, you know, or, you know, co-editor, but I mean, for all, all intents and purposes, you're the editor. I mean, how important did you feel like it was to just keep this sort of in the girl's house, like girls to the front, like mm-hmm. in terms of the production? Of well, this I girl. think Kathleen really wanted that. Yeah. So um, I think it was important to her. So it became important to us. Yeah. You know, um, I don't. You know, as far as editing is concerned, I don't, I've got, I've, I've had offers because I'm a woman. I don't want to, like, I don't edit right. like, I don't know what that is to edit like a woman. I just edit, you know. Um, to me, all, edit, editing began with women, you know, if you look historically. Yeah. To me, I think we all edit like women, you know what I mean? And like, I, I think, I, I, for me at least, even as, 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 you know, as a straight white male, even me when I'm editing, I feel like it's it's more akin to like when I'm with my son and like nurturing him. You know what I mean? I feel like the act of editing, I feel is a nurturing process and sometimes you got to beat it with a stick, but you know, but like to but do me, you mean that as that, but I, I, I agree with that as far as, um, communication. Yes. But I mean, as when I'm editing itself, like the way I choose to create the rhythm, I don't think there's anything inherently female, female or masculine. Male. About it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think there, I think that women and have ruled the edit bay for, there is something mm-hmm. about, um, I think maybe male directors can hand, like there, there may be something yeah. about it that like, Oh, well I can take, I can take it from mommy yeah. <laughs> like, I can, or I don't know. I'm right. maybe getting too edible about the whole no, thing. But I think, but, I think you're, I think you're right. I think there's something to be said about that though. I mean, I mean to me like the most talented and I don't, again, I don't, I don't just mean to be sort of, you know, I don't mean mean to be broad, but it's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I know, I'll say this. I know plenty of bad male editors. I don't know any bad female editors. I don't know what that's inherent of, if that's indicative of anything at all. Well, there may be, there's purely anecdotal. There's few of us. That's true. So maybe that's true. Only to get to crack the ceiling you got to be a certain level of good just maybe to, just to get maybe there. that's maybe that's more you guys have it easy you can screw I totally, up 50 times they'll hire absolutely. You and, I, and i have <laughs> i have like you know and that's the thing it's like um but to me but but beyond that it's like i i just i i know like you sarah hilder like other mm-hmm. female editors that i know um and even like the one who mentored me like when i was an associate my editor was this uh woman lee ellen patchen and she rode me like crazy. She was, she, I mean, she was not easy on me and mm-hmm. thank God. Like that's where I, that's where I learned to become an editor was under her tutelage. And if you're out there, Leon, I love you and I hate you all at once. <laughs> um, but for me at least, I, I don't know. I just, and I, I don't have enough. I don't, I'm not able to articulate my thoughts properly to make any kind of conclusion one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I just think it's food for thought. You know, right, it's, right. it's something to be sort of considered. Um, so, Kathleen's happy with the film. She's she's very happy. Good, yeah, good. I think she's very proud of it. I'm proud of it. I As think, you should be, man. I think it's um, I think we just wanted to make sure her legacy was was well told, right. you know. And I think we accomplished that, you know. And um, I think people that are fans of hers, you know, I've heard from them, and they're really 
happy with the film and i think that's what's important in yeah. this case and kathleen being so about her fans and who they you know i just wanted we all wanted her happy and it might be a little hagiographic to do that sure. but i also think that <laughs> she's not um she's not somebody uh which is funny that has twice been used to describe both the films that we are discussing. Hagiographic, hey, yeah. yeah. I definitely heard it um, used in, in kind of, we'll get, we'll get, means, there, we'll get uh, there in a minute. Telling the story of like, you're, built, you're building a saint. Yeah. Yeah, where I just don't know that Kathleen had such a, there's no dark side to yeah. discover. You know, she's not like, there's not a maniacal version of Kathleen to discuss, you know. There aren't a bunch of people that are like, she actually beat us during the <laughs> concerts. You know, she was yeah. who she was. So, the, the, you know. the, all of Sonic Youth gets on say, she touched us wrong. Like, yeah, I don't exactly. think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, exactly. So I think that um, the story is what it is, you know. Um, and she does celebrate life in this very big way yeah. and so that's what we try to do with it you yeah. know without thought to that and like, that's and that's such a that's such a, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's such a that's such a challenge when you're essentially doing a biography documentary on a person who's alive and is going to see this and in, is directly involved and you know there uh, a friend of mine Bobby Razak is doing a documentary on uh, Charles Lewis a, a friend of ours who he created the tap out clothing line and he passed away about 5 years ago and it's it's kind of it's kind of wrecking Bobby a little bit because he's getting into some darker aspects of Char- of Charles's nature and he's proud of the work and he knows it needs to be done but it's like he's really grappling with it and because you don't really want to tell that part of the story about your friend but you also don't want it just to be propaganda about your friend right that you're exactly. leaving all the bad stuff out but I think with Kathleen who I saw it happen in real time in the early 90s where the press just vilified her and not mm-hmm. just her but the movement right. where they were saying like oh they're and they and you guys touch on it well it's like all the articles are like oh she's you know they're half of them are bisexual and she's also a stripper so it's just and just mm-hmm. really diminishing her yeah so I think you know the bad had already been out there so it's like the, the job of rounding her out in some ways had already been done for you so you could really focus on the, the aspects of her that people weren't aware of mm-hmm. and sort of bring mm-hmm. that to the front and, you know, girls to the front, you know, you can right. bring that to the public again. I think you guys just did a great job with it and, and my compliments all involved. Um, let's transition to Budo. Uh, Cause you did Budo. You were on Budo a hell of a lot longer. Yes. That took a long time. In, in many ways, as many similarities as I can try to thread the needle for this episode, there, it was a very different process how you came on board Budo and just the day to day process where it wasn't just six weeks. You, how long were you on that for? Oh. Firstly, walk us through. Like, how did you get? How did you get onto the project, and what was your involvement? That was. Um, this is the. F- I mean, it's a very funny story. Again, like I said, um, I would take any opportunity I could to do something creatively satisfying. Like, if I'd be doing, you know, Flavor of Love was happening, and I'm like, I'll do Bomb It, you know, or you know, <laughs> yeah. um, were you, you know, doing Bomb It during Flavor of Love? I was. Actually. Okay. Um, uh, Jess and I originally worked on the first season of Flavor of Love, which I, I will say. I stand by it as a solid piece of satire. As in terms of <laughs> in terms of satirizing a whole genre of television, I think Flavor of it's Love. The Starship Troopers of reality. I, yes, I, yes, that, that's yes, perfect. That's, exactly. that's perfectly. And, and I have authorial to admit, intent. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I have never had so much fun on a daily basis Such a in my show. edit bay. Yeah. Like just crying, laughing because as contrived as reality TV has gotten those women were actually insane. Like there was yeah. nothing you yeah. had to do to them. You didn't have to manipulate them. It was basically like, are the censors going to allow us to show this or yeah. not? Like this girl shit on the was, stairs. Great. Leave it in. It's <laughs> insane. You know, like this stuff that you couldn't even like, I mean, it really, it was one of those that like and you stranger than fiction. Yeah. You couldn't make it up. It if was, you tried. it was this bizarre sociological experiment and Flav, you didn't really have to edit too. Cause I mean, I worked on the bachelor and without breaking my NDA, you know, 
obviously the, the best foot forward there. Flav, our interviews, we literally just no cutaways, just Flav. And yeah, because he'd be was, hilarious. Flav is a, he'd be hysterical. At the time, it seemed so random because most of the world had forgotten who Flav was. And was like, oh, yeah, I do remember him now that you mention it. Like, now he's yeah. back right. in the culture again. Mm-hmm. But, but at but, the time, it was like, why him? And it's perfect because he's the perfect guy to put at the center of one of these things. Yeah. Just because he's he's he seems really nice and affectionate. But he's yeah. also Sweetest got kid. Like, this, like, overflowing personality. Yeah. And he's not kidding. Like, that's just no. him. He is who he is. And he's so goddamn colorful. The, yeah. the joke I always made about Flav was that I met him probably like four or five times, just him coming to the office mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, and he met me for the first time every time. Yeah, but every, every time. Every, every time. time. But, but he always had to give you a big hug and yeah. he always made you feel very loved and he always appreciated you, whatever it was you he's did or whoever man, the hell dude. you were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he is, he is a hype Definitive man. Hype man. Anyway, so getting away from Flavor Flav. Mm-hmm. You were working on Flavor Flav when you were doing Bomb It and then you saw the opportunity to, to work on this project. Before. Yeah, and so I originally volunteered my time like and wow. so um i volunteered and at the time there was um a director on it um and things did not things fell apart like at some point i actually departed the project right. because of the way that things seemed to be kind of not going anywhere you know i i remember you and i were working together on something when that happened yeah yeah i can't it wasn't New York. Battle- was it? Was it that? It was New York. It was. was it was. I love New York. Yeah, because it was. It was after Battleground Earth. Yeah, it was after that. It was. Or is it that one where the cho- anyway? It was. It was one definitely shows, a fifty-one yeah. mind show. Yeah. Um. And um. So I volunt- I started out volunteering my time, and then I sort of like left the project for a minute, and then they ended up getting rid of that director, and then I got a call from the woman who was produ- the the person who involved me in the first place, right? That I was able to volunteer to. Right. Um. And her name's Arlene Sorkin. And, um, Any relation? Uh, not to oh, no, okay. not to him. Um, but she's she's actually married to Chris Lloyd, who is um, the modern co- family guy. Yeah, modern family. Okay, cool. Um, so the other Chris Lloyd. The yeah. other, the other <laughs> not, Chris not, Lloyd. Not Doc Brown. Yeah. Doc Brown's the other Chris Lloyd. Yeah. Just <laughs> um, with double names. Exactly. So um, yeah, for a long time I thought that's who I was like. Christopher Lloyd produces. Yeah, I know. I had this. Uh, yeah. I was like, huh? <laughs> um, what a bizarre career transition. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so she brought me back in and we ended up at that point editing out of her pool house. Right. And just um, like Jaws. Yeah. Just like Jaws. <laughs> and, um, there, there was sort of like this interim, nobody was in charge, you know, kind of thing. And there was like a writer who, um, he kind of became a, a director on it. And then I ended up kind of co-directing with him the yeah. rest of the project through. Um, and that was just sort of usurping as I went, like there was no other, there was a power vacuum. There was a power vacuum. They kept giving me deadlines and I just kept looking through the footage, you know? Um, but then is someone going to make a call on this? Okay. I'm going to make a call. Yeah. I'm going to make a call. So So you're much more autonomous in a lot of ways. A hundred percent autonomous. Like the punk singer was Tamara and I collaborating the whole way through, you know? Um, Budo was not Budo was me. Um, you know, yeah. What do you think, Jessica? Yes, I think this is going to work. Keep going. You know, that was right. that was pretty much the end of things. I mean, we would turn in cuts eventually to the producers, to Arlene and to Dwayne. But um, other than their uh, input, Dwayne, Dwayne Bowman, the producer, yeah, the producer. Yeah. Other than them, there was no other input. Yeah. You know, um, so we just mo- kept moving forward, like cutting, cutting, cutting. There was, t- and then I needed to do some pickup interviews. There were things that I needed for the version because the original version didn't really, it was very different, you know, stylistically, uh, it was very, um, 
meditative, very yeah. slow, very quiet. Wow, a lot, of, a lot of air. Because the one, Buddha we, moves. The one we got, it's it like sizzles, like yeah. it's almost like a rock documentary. Yeah, which I felt was necessary. I'm like, there is so much stuff I'm trying to tell you. Um, yeah. and, and names that Zeal Hawk like I'm right. trying to it's to, like Game of Thrones in terms of characters yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. Just you know and geopolitical I'm to, dating back to 80 years exactly so how do you compress all this and originally there really there was no Pakistan line you right. know and that's where that's where I think my brain always splits into these two lines like what is the lar- what is the meta story like right. I, for, for me anyway that is so important Right. In a dock for it to, to for it to have legs and to be bigger. If than we don't itself. know what she's up against, we don't understand why any of these events matter. Yeah, right. yeah, and like so. She and just, how does her personal journey align with the journey of Pakistan? Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, and, and her specifically, it was insane. I mean, like it's just like the country was created here. You were born here. Your father was president. Then you became the prime minister. Then I mean, like there's so much that happens, like. Through the, I mean, up to 2007, yeah. there her family and Pakistan can be interwoven. Right. I mean, exactly. You know, and, and that's, that's what we did. And that's in the larger geopolitical mess that is the Middle East yes. of the last hundred years. Yes. And so that was a lot of like what, as again, like I knew Budo. I knew, in fact, when I was a PA on my very first job, like out of college yeah. on an A&E show called Love Chronicles that was like, <laughs> before they even did reality shows, this was like, you know, those A&E like yeah. historical things. Sure. And this was about arranged marriages right and she agreed to be interviewed and i like would hand her her water whoa like, that's cool. funny. <laughs> so you actually had faced because you came on the board project after benazir had been assassinated yeah yeah Who but knew? you had a personal connection her. that's crazy yeah from when i was a pa like it was nuts i mean how random is that yeah. that i would end up being the one making her life story um so um anyway where that's was so i cool. with that yeah it was random i kind of went oh you're talking about the two lines in palestine yeah so and her. um so once I got on board, the more I found out about Pakistan and understanding, I mean, in, in, in Congress, whatever they call it, AFPAC, you really can't talk about Afghanistan without Pakistan. And they yeah. do, mm-hmm. you know, and this was, it actually aired on PBS the week after they, they caught or they killed bin Laden, which so I thought was crazy. interesting, but it was like one of those, and that was planned for so long, you know, like it wasn't like, yeah. Oh, we got to throw this on cause it happened. But I did feel like the American audience needed a 101 yeah. on Pakistan. I certainly no, did. totally. Yeah. On behalf of me, at least, thanks. And thanks. you did that over credits. Like you, you, you basically did that over the opening credit sequence. Which that's why I kind of asked a question about about Punk Singer. Is that because whereas that was very clean and very cut and paste DIY mm-hmm. zine style, this you had to go full throttle with the mm-hmm. style. Not just well, the, like the philosophy of the graphics was just a really cool call and it was really helpful. Yeah. And just the idea of it and T- what and they did. Teague works in visual effects, and so mm-hmm. that's 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 you know it's praise coming from him because a lot of times graphics and docs can be very superfluous, right? But you guys really threaded that needle. I never felt lost throughout the entire time mm-hmm. watching that film. Well, so. We tried to like um, I felt like like I said with the names like Aziel <coughs> Hawk or Nawaz Sharif, I felt like they were characters, and as they were introduced, like they needed a little dossier. Yeah. yeah, they needed a dossier. I wanted you to see the name. So that you might right. understand it a little bit more, and like, okay, this is a guy, and even if I can't remember Ziel Hawk, I, I see that these images, you know, yeah. and like Nawaz images, Akukan images, you know, right. and um, so I felt like that really, and and as far as like locations, it wanted I, you know, we we actually didn't get as far, you know, we were running out of time with the graphics, mm-hmm. but the the idea with a lot of like the uh, location stuff was sort of a risk map. Yeah, where the countries you know, are li- lifting out of the yeah, rest of the world. You know, and like how, how you're playing risk and how that kind of plays into everything. 
Now, in terms of in terms of like when you say you were autonomous, and a lot of times in making those decisions, where where did the idea for those graphics come in and sort of the creative process and just structuring, just structuring. The well, film. I think they like always wanted graphics. I know like as like the everyone wanted graphics again, but it was one of those like, well, let's see where they fit. Right. Yeah. You know, like let's hold on a minute. But again, cart before the horse. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. Every doc now has graphics, but where do they belong? Right. You know, um, even Morris, Earl Morris is getting nuts. with graphics. Yeah, he lately. is. Yeah. He is. Um, so I think that like the opening, it seemed like you, we need, you need all look when it comes to Pakistan and India, I mean, we just started to start a partition. I mean, you could, there's so much that goes, that goes back thousands of years. So it's like, where do we want to start the fight? Yeah. You know, like, where do you want to start this fight? Okay. Partition seems like a good entryway. Entryway. People know that people understand that moment in time. Right. Um, so we kind of like use that, but just to get us into the beginning of the history of Pakistan, we use that beginning, you know, like, yeah, we give you all of it. Like that we're going to show you through this. It's sort of like a thesis statement, you know, like we're going to show you throughout the doc how they ended up with this many madrasas, right? You know, how they, and how Bush ended up signing these paper, you know, like how we ended up sending this many billion a year to Pakistan and continue to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, the day after they killed bin Laden, um, one of our main characters um, was all over the Huffington Post. Um, Which one? My God, I can't believe I'm blanking on his <laughs> name right now. It's been a right few now. years. It's, and it's, and it's and a I lot of alphabet soup to remember. No, no, but this guy was like one of our, um, he was our main guy. He was her friend. Oh my God, it will come to me. I know, because here's the thing, like I saw, I've seen, I've seen, mm-hmm. I saw, I saw Budo a couple times. Like you had given mm-hmm. me like a couple screener scenes mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and then as soon as it was available, I, I, I saw it. Um, but it's been a while since I've seen that. Yeah, seen Mark something. Oh my God, I'm yeah, dying. I know you're talking about. Um, he was with the, was he with this? He wasn't with the CIA. He was with, uh, close, no. close, but one of those agencies. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mark Siegel. Thank there God. it is. There Thank it is. God. Mark There's Siegel. my brain. Um, <laughs> so because you know, they, he lobbies for Pakistan to get yeah. money. So it was like, why are we still giving them money after this? After happened? this, you know, and yeah. you know, we're, har- they're harboring them. But again, um, that's, all of that, like I just felt, you can't talk about Benazir, you can't talk about any of this without understanding what the ISI is and how what it, how large it is and its effect on the country and right. how like Zia affected the IS. It's so complicated that to me, the only way to ingest it was to make it entertaining. Like yeah. It had to have fast music. It had to have graphics. So in the process, no, like it wasn't like graphic here, you know, but I would create just like Zia's intro has like a lot of archival footage yes you know so we would just create all that and then we talked to um the pick agency who helped us with all the graphical elements and um talked about like okay dossiers i think we need dossiers you know like figuring out what the graphic would be and how it would help came last yeah you know um the brothers but you would temp in, you would temp slate like some sort of graphic here yeah but not not at the top like really at first it would be like i would rhythm it out without it. it you know, so they could still be functioning and work even if, if, if all graphics in the world tomorrow blew up. Yeah, it would could, work. You would still work. Yeah. And now, that's how I try to cut it. It's so, you know, it's so in some ways, punk singer, you know, she led a, a decent, you know, sort of subculture movement. But you always like the lens is always very clearly trained at Kathleen. Right. And, and as it should be with with Budo, it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole of all these things that we're talking about of mm-hmm. back history. East-West relations, uh, you know, just um, you know, misogyny inherent to the sort of that. All these things, it's so easy to go down, and all of them are fascinating. What specifically were the ways you were able to sort of 
refocus and and sort of redirect the story on Budo herself and just kind of keep her just sort of keep her her sort of presence and her spirit there like was there any specific trick you did to like because I never felt like Ben Azir got lost in the shuffle Mm -hmm. I always felt like she was trained there but was there anything editorially or directorially you did specifically to keep her there um Let's see. Anything that pops out? You mean like make this a documentary that couldn't be made about someone else? Well, no, I'm just saying like like I was saying like the system was there and this is the person's story within the system. I'm just saying it's so easy to go on on a tangent. It's so easy. Like so, in what ways do you keep her presence there even when she's not Mm -hmm. directly on screen? Well, I think she's unique in this situation because of her geopolitics. Like it's not like oh, and the president was off doing this. She was the president. president, So like um, even if it's you know or her father was the president. You know when we're discussing like India and we like depart into that moment when India got a nuclear bomb. Right. Um, yes, the focus goes into the, the, the geopolitics of it, but... But it's only it one degree fa- away from her family. Yeah, exactly. There At any go. given time, yeah. it's really one degree away. So um, you never lose her yeah. that way. But again, the, what I will say is lacking, but that's not what the film is, is you lack the common people. Like you don't know what Pakistan was for the average person during that period right. of time. But that—that's not the movie. That, exactly. Like, you know, I feel like that comes movie. across, though. I feel like there's enough there's enough window dressing in the B-roll and stuff that gives mm-hmm. you a sense of this place. Yeah. I, I got. I felt like I had a context for it. Right. So now you had. So as you're sort of developing this in a vacuum, and as you're sort of like kind of steering the ship in a lot of ways, at some point you guys have to go back out and do more interviews. What mm-hmm. were some of the interviews that you conducted yourself? Um, Reza Aslan okay. Okay. was <laughs> one of the the main He's interviews. Oh my gosh, uh, Tariq, Tariq Ali. Okay. And um, uh, there was a third one. He was again. I am losing my mind. I should have. I should have boned up it's on okay. my own movie. Like a, it's been. Uh, it's been the, a few years. The third and, guy yeah. was. Um, he was Pakistani, um, and he was bald. He, he comes through a lot in the film, but we always have to subtitle him, even though he's speaking English. <laughs> sure. And I'm totally blanking, okay. but he's been right. so great. Um, but those were the three main interviews. Oh, and Amy Willens. Yeah. Amy Willens. She was great. The, you know, cause like in a lot of ways, you know, some of the, in the talking head stuff, um, visually it's different cause you can kind of feel like sort of the many directorial hands and over time mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I think ultimately the arc I, to me, the thing stylistically that unifies it all is the editorial and is the rhythm and is sort of your presence over there. And I feel like. It, like I was saying earlier, this is one of those films where the editorial hand is felt to its benefit. You know, it's like I feel like the unifying the hand of the editor on everything. And I think it definitely needed that. So when did the decision to open it with this sort of brief three, four minute version of the lead up to her getting shot and then like, uh oh. And the, like putting that, it's like a, it's like a cold open or something. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was it was a, a it's a very open. TV sort of thing. Um, I think we which totally worked. Um, I think pretty early on because um, it also gives you, I mean, I just love the elegant like "Good morning, Benazir." Right. You know, I just yeah. it, it was, it just led you in. That opening um, was powerful, by the way. Like leading with her assassination, well, I think was. Well, yeah, but genius. it gives you a sense of dread for the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, and and it turns out not to be the assassination. Yeah, that's what was great. So which is yeah. kind of cool. And, <laughs> um, and I think what became harder was I really wanted to make sure that when we played it later, that it's it was different. Right. You know, you had more context. You had a different perspective on it. Yeah, you know, and I really had to create that. But um, I did love. And also, that. I was surprised when she survived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not see yeah. that coming. Yeah, you really think like this is it. This is it, but this that's not it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that I remember, like I remember her going. I remember in live time remembering 
it happening and mm. being like, she is dead. Like, this is, what is she doing? You know? Um, but yeah, it wasn't that time. It wasn't, it was a different time. Yeah. And something that didn't make the doc, um, one of the, one of our interviewees was saying that they were at a dinner. He, he, he was a New York times reporter and he was at a big Washington dinner and uh, Rumsfeld was there. Mm. And he said, um, dead woman walking like right to her. Jeez. What? We'll have to spend another. Like as a funny. He thought it was like kind of funny. Like We'll have to spend. A whole, I mean, we could do a whole episode just on the unknown known. I don't know if yeah. you've seen that. Oh, yeah, I did. But I like did. it's it, it's it's fascinating to me how tone deaf a human being in life can be and talk about it, uh, ep- epistemic closure. Like, I mean, there's there's he is the poster boy of it. Uh, and, and you hear things like that. Yeah. You hear things over the years like that. It's just it's astonishing to me how like. You compare some of our world leaders to someone like Benazir Bhutto, and it's just it's it's it, it's like it, it's like a Nolan Ryan playing at a at a little league game. It's just ridiculous. Um, so over the how over the time, did you really feel like a? Do you feel like it's necessary to develop like a really personal connection or like a really to identify strongly with somebody? And B, did you feel you feel becoming that way towards Benazir? No, I mean, I try to be objective with Benazir. I mean, there, you know, she went through a period where there was a lot of like theft and, yeah. you know, it wasn't all it wasn't roses. All roses. Well, I know. thought it was interesting that there was the interview with one of her, was it nieces? Mm-hmm. That was, that Fatima. was, that, that was yeah. a little bit like, yeah, I'm not on board with this whole Benazir's a God thing, you guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's a complicated figure. I she's, mean, she's a complicated p- figure. And I will say that is where like, you know what, there would have been even more of that, but our producers were tight with. Right with her widow and there were things that were compromised on that level. Like I think a lot more people had things to say about I'm, I'm it. sure they did. Um, yeah. One of which was she got in because she was a Budo, not a woman. And right. that's a big point to make. I mean, though, I mean, I don't care whether she was a Budo. It's still an outrageous accomplishment. Yeah, like, for, yeah. And I think like having, even if we had had that said in the doc, it wouldn't diminish anything. It's just another, yeah, it is a different perspective. But on it's, her, it's, it's an element know? of reality too. And that's, yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think in any way that's a slight against her. Exactly. You, know, you I mean? know, and I mean, in some ways, and that's why I'm not as like quick to like say, Oh, well, Benazir is, you know, so much than in comparison to Kathleen Hanna. Mm-hmm. Kathleen Hanna came from nothing, mm-hmm. came from nothing and made something. Whereas Benazir, she accomplished all these great, wonderful things, but as best as a woman in the Middle East can be, she was sort of born on second. You know yeah. what I mean? She yeah. was born in a significantly, it, it, you know, it's like it makes perfect sense that the first woman to do all these things was from her family. Yeah. Even her yeah. dad didn't yeah. pick any of her brothers. No, yeah. he did not. He was like, nah, no, this is the, she's she's it. she's the one. She's yeah. the heir apparent. And again, that that does nothing to diminish any of her accomplishments. No, it's, no, no. You know, but it's not at all. But it is. I think he was grooming her. I mean, yeah. when he took her to India, she saw things. Another thing that didn't make the doc, um, which was interesting, was when he went to the UN and he makes that impassioned speech. You know, right? Um, there was a a meeting prior to that um, at his hotel, and she kind of what we use are her tapes. Like she's telling a biographer her life and that's what we edit with is her talking about her own life and um she talks about her dad would have her answering the phones at the at the pierre hotel that's funny and um he would tell her like 
if I'm in a meeting with the Russians and the Chinese call, you tell me the Americans are on the phone. If so-and-so calls, That's you so tell cool. me that so-and-so is on the phone. That's and like, awesome. And, and she had to learn. She learned. He groomed her. That is she some learned. West Wing shit. Yeah. Like some <laughs> that's really. A, that's some Game of Thrones shit. That's yeah. Like some, <laughs> yeah. And so she, she was learning that from him. And uh, when it, that's when she met George Bush Sr. actually walked in because he was a delegate at the U.N., Huh. I cut to him falling asleep during his Is speech. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead asleep in the corner. Um, but yeah, it was like she really was groomed from a very young age. Her father definitely saw it in her. And Amy Willens, who speaks in the doc, was dating her brother Mir at yeah. Harvard. And um, yeah, now she's married to the editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Times. <laughs> so it's just a small world, huh. small world. Did, did you ever feel like, to me, it would it'd be very f easy to feel to a degree overwhelmed, like knowing that you're basically handling the stories of all of these incredibly important and powerful people in the front on the geopolitical stage. And especially when you're, you know, when you're interviewing and, and sort of interfacing directly, and especially as, as you on the film, as your profile began to rise and you became a much more important and vital part of this process. Did you ever, was there ever a moment where you feel like, was there a mo ever a moment of doubt in your mind that like, this may be it's maybe bigger than what I'm sort of prepared for. Or did you or you just did you just not have time to let any of those fears? No. Take root? Yeah, it really didn't. Um, no, I saw it. I mean, I understood vision really like, oh, I can see it. Right. I can see what this is. Um, I just and, and so I was just creating what I saw. Right. You know, sometimes you say stuff, though, and people don't like I realize you, you sound like in like you're speaking another language sure. sometimes because I kept saying, I need archival footage of people painting her. They had to have painted her like for the end. I wanted yeah, like right. these. And they were like, why do you want that? Like, <laughs> you know, like they did not. And I just, and I didn't, I kept trying to explain this moment I wanted to create. And they were just like painted, like painted somewhere, you know, and then like the most perfect version of it showed up, you know? Right. Um, Stuff like that, where there's like moments where it's you like a know. chef asking for a weird ingredient and someone doesn't get it because it's like, why does that have to be in the meal at all? It's like, trust me, I know more about this. Let's talk about that for it's a second. It's going to be in there. It's going to matter. It's Let's a good. It, we need it. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a second because in a lot of, especially an independent documentary, it's we want this, we can't get that. So out of not having that, we create this instead. Mm -hmm. You were in a pretty unique position to where. You could ask for it, like, let's get footage of that. And I'm sure after some consternation, they got it for you. Cause I do. Well, so, I mean, we, I mean, that's archival. That's definitely like, that's, you know, and on a film so. like that, it was, we needed just so much archival. The, the What was really hard was getting it out of Pakistan. Like, right. You know, that was the harder. So we needed um, somebody, Susan Ricketts is a wonderful archival producer. Right. And she'd actually lived in Pakistan for quite some time. Well, who hasn't, you know? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I used to summer there. What, so. what white woman from, yeah, you know, middle course. America doesn't live in Pakistan right. for a season? Um, but so she, <laughs> she, she could help with fixers when we needed to shoot back there. And um, right. she was able to get certain things to us. Um, um, you know, even though like, I mean, they, they, they confiscated footage and then we had to put it in like diplomatic pouches to get it through, Holy you know, crap. yeah. Cause like ISI was taking things or not letting it through FedEx. And was there ever an element of danger? Because I mean, she, I mean, obviously you're doing a documentary about someone who was assassinated. I mean, I, they asked us that at Sundance too. And I mean, I did not feel it on this side of the world, right. you know, like, 
Um, yeah, Pakistan probably isn't the safest place to show up. You know, like, I mean, right. even even if you're there as a the guest of Zadari, like, no one likes him. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you've, you've, there's nothing safe about being right. in Pakistan. Um, but here, not so much. Yeah. You know, like, when... The you're in the bubble of the West. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the premiere had a lot of security because the the children came and her sister came and the only person didn't come was Zadari, but he's Zadari. sitting president. So he's, but, he's busy. Yeah. He's a little busy. Um, and there was, there had been a big bomb. I think there was like talk of him coming, but there was a big explosion or attack. Like and there was no way he could <laughs> right. leave. Um, but, um, that was the only time I ever saw like, heavy security details did you have that there. moment we were like oh yeah we did sort of do a thing didn't we yeah or like when the detail the detail knew my friends before they saw you know like they had dossiers Jeez. you know like holy they had, shit so there was That's it was crazy. interesting like I, my friends were more freaked out than i was like they yeah. know me like or i think like, i was a little more freaked out than you were like because yeah. you i remember you were you and i were like on a, on im and you're like yeah we got the security detail i'm like Oh yeah, you kind of did do a thing, didn't you? Yeah, it's like that's the, the yeah you 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 need bodyguards for this you know this lovely uh, dawn of winter trip to Park City, Utah. Yeah, and we were the only yeah we're definitely the only premiere with uh, metal detectors. Huh, Jesus, like it's it's so fascinating to me. So back to the day to day of it, you how long did you spend in post on the film? Uh, that whole time I was in post, like well, seven the, months. Seven months, yeah, in so. post. So, and time on, this is like late 2008 through 2009 or 2009 through 2010? 2000, 2008 is when I volunteered. Yes. And then, then there was like a break. A and then 2009, most of like, I think I'm, from like April on. I remember, I remember in spring in 2009, you and I were chatting and like you said, yeah, I'm back on Budo and you were there for the rest of the year. Yeah. 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 And that was, it was exhausting. I mean, definitely. I mean, like, I think the, the thing that formed the last was the cut that we sent to Sundance did not have the ending. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that wasn't the ending right. that, you know, it was like, this has to have a bigger ending. And, um, that's when we dug out more of that voiceover yeah. and I was like, this is no, this is it. You know, it was a really um, affecting ending. Like it was really, you know, it, it was, it, it was, it's, it, it stuck with me. I remember like at the time oh, getting her to kind of view her own death yeah. was very eerie, but oddly like worked, Tupac, like the, like the Tupac yeah. resurrection documentary. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's like he's assassinated. And then you hear that. It's like, He's not alive, right? Like he's not in a cave somewhere talking posthumously about himself. No, this is yo Eddie. Okay. You don't know that man. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah you hey, don't know. him and Bruce Lee and he Walt was Disney. a hologram at Coachella. That's I heard, true. right? Yeah. A hologram made a flash. No, um, so yeah. So I mean, and, he yeah, and funny. Elvis and Andy Kaufman play poker. <laughs> you don't know. So, so yeah, well, I, I if if somebody told me Andy Kaufman was alive today, I don't think I'd be exactly surprised. But uh, but yeah, no, it was it was an affecting ending, and I I really yeah, it was, I mean, I think the earliest version I had seen didn't have that ending. Right. It's something you gave me on a DVD, but but yeah, it's it's um it was it was very affecting, and again, it could have easily devolved into a History Channel special. You know, there's this documentary recently called uh, Tall Hot Blonde. I think mm-hmm. it was just, you know, online mistaken identity ends in tragedy mm-hmm. and it was good, but it, it's like, Oh, this is a 48 hour piece. Like this right. is a, this is a news piece. This is a Dateline NBC piece mm-hmm. to say nothing bad of, of Dateline NBC pieces. No, no. They serve yeah. a great function, but mm-hmm. in terms of a movie, you know, a, a piece of cinema, um, it's very easy for a lot of these biographical pieces to descend in journalism and to journalism and all this other stuff. And I, I at no time to ever feel like we were doing that in Budo mm-hmm. to, to you guys' credit. I think like it, it definitely felt that way. I wanted it to feel cinematic. Like I wanted it to have 
that that heft you know yeah. and um and be a little tongue-in-cheek you know like when zajari enters <laughs> yeah. you know you guys interviewed musharraf too which mm-hmm. how crazy i mean were you on board when it was happening um, or i was after it was after i, okay. I was um that was amy berg definitely did that interview gotcha okay but it's an interesting interview to listen to i mean it's not like there's a i mean pretty much what he said is what we got in the movie right like he was not he had an agenda for his interview and yeah he pretty much stuck to it he's very media savvy and he's very trained oh, yeah, yeah. and you and you yeah. definitely get that sense in the film what i find interesting and what i love to do is whenever there's a long interview with somebody whenever i get raw footage in and i see these long interviews there are these quiet moments and you know what i'm talking about like you know it's like mm-hmm. they're rolling but they're not they're not on yet yeah yeah and you can always a trained eye can always kind of pick apart little aspects of their character that way was there mm-hmm. anything that like Anything that stuck out to you about him in those moments where he wasn't on, or is he no, just he's so? On. He's so he's, he's so a, on. He's a dictator, man. Like that, yeah. man, he and he's a smart one. I I don't I you know in the movie we discussed. I mean, this is what she wrote. She wrote he did it. Um, there's reasons why he could have been at the helm of it. Now I do think in Pakistan there is a saying like who benefited and he right. didn't. <laughs> Qui bono, he really who, 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 did. yeah. And he's he really didn't. It took him down actually. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the beginning of the end of, of him. Sharif, yeah. yeah, even even more than the Red Mosque, which yeah. was a big his Waco, for sure. Yeah. Um, like we had that in the movie for a minute, but that's where it's like, oh, we're really diverging here. Like this but, isn't about yeah. Musharraf, so we got to get rid of the Red Mosque. As interesting as it is about Pakistan, it yeah. doesn't give us any more information. Right. To push us forward the, the rabbit story. hole is definitely the the enemy of, of of narrative structure in a doc were there any other uh, aside from the red mosque i had to imagine there's probably like a half dozen things that were on the table to be included but were ultimately mm-hmm. shelved was there anything else that stood out to you for that no i mean when i watch budo the one thing i look at is there is there's things i would remove or right. like i would i would be a little tighter i don't think i think her second administration could have just been about what went wrong right. it didn't have to and that's where i feel like it got a little convoluted with other people's interests like oh no she's still got to be nice like no you could have given all her positives sort of in her first term which was idealized mm-hmm. yeah. and then come back and just kind of like her second term was yeah not the same you know she put her high school graduated husband in as like minister of finance <laughs> right. the, you know yeah that's not know, the height of but i think that that only show i think she went back for redemption i i think that she kind of fell in love with the bad boy i really do i kind (laughs) of think that she let him run amok yeah and um not to say that's not how pakistan works like nawaz sharif is stealing they're all stealing money like that's how they operate i mean we're devolving into the way they operate you know (laughs) what i mean like seriously so it's not evolving yeah exactly you know Uh, we're close. I mean, theirs is. If we get there, we're in real trouble. But like, it's it's all of it is graft. So yeah. I understand when that Zadari's like, I'm doing what they're all doing. You know, they're just pointing the finger at me harder. You know. Yeah. But I still think he's pretty notorious. You know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and so I think when she when she came back, I do think she wanted her legacy intact. I think she may have been past that like i'm in love with you kind right. of you know that like yeah. thing and was wanted to make sure she left this world with the right mm-hmm. with you know intact you know it's it's, it's funny you mentioned the second administration because in a lot of ways i i felt 
a similar sort of clipping and punk singer with, you know, um, La Tigre, uh, which by, you know, if you look at it from a purely dollars and cents number, La Tigre was the more successful band than Bikini Joe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They had, you know, proper music videos. They had like, you know, radio play, radio play. They had video play that Bikini Kill never had. The only time Kathleen Hanna and Bikini Kill was on a video was in that Sonic Youth yeah, video, you know, and Heather, yeah. which, which totally had a crush on her. Just saying. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, so it's, um, so it's interesting that, the Tigre, and it wasn't brushed over, but it definitely got, and you could say it had less impact, but it was interesting that you guys, there were elements that I was familiar with La Tigre story that didn't make it in. Like there was an original founding member that was no longer in. You guys yeah. pretty much went right to JD. Yeah. And, um, which is fine, but because mm-hmm. I don't think it, I don't think ultimately her story was in any way lost because of that. And I right. think in Budo, you definitely could have trimmed, looking at it now, I think you definitely could have trimmed the second administration stuff. Was there any, any Monday morning quarterbacking that, you would do on either film like after I mean because anybody can pick it apart mm-hmm. but I mean any anytime you make something you can always pick it apart after the mm-hmm. fact but are you overall would you are you fine with leaving both this like the same if you could mm-hmm. if you could make one more trim or no um like I said with Budo like the second administration's always <coughs> stuck in my side right. I was like oh I just want to lift that right back out right. you know um, but can I you mean, get away with doing it without? I mean, can you get away with the documentary without mentioning it though? No, no, you could. I just don't think we had to get into all her like mm-hmm. good part. Like there wasn't oh, that right. many like positives in her second administration that I needed see. to be hit. Right, you could have just been like this because actually Tariq Ali has like a beautiful quote that still leads you into the back half, right. which is um, her second administration was not like her first. You I mean like it just huh. boom? You know like yeah. or she and he says something like she was she was harder. She was she was not yeah. as as ideal, and um, I think you could have just concentrated on the faults of that because that's where she really fell from grace. You yeah. know, like I think you could have all the positives were the same. You know, like what she was pushing forward agenda wise was no different between the first and second administration politically. Mm-hmm. You know, like these are the things I want to push forward: education, polio, like whatever it be. So we didn't have to really hit them again it could have just gone into like how the, the forces against her and, and how she had changed sent jettisoned her from her second administration. I can't believe she was, she didn't talk to people for like two years. Like the, yeah, the, the her prison time is so like, crazy it's impossible to believe it's like are you shitting me really well what's crazy is I don't I still don't even understand the concept of I mean I guess she had too many powerful friends in in the West to kill like why, sure. like why didn't they? I mean, they right. killed her father. I think it was all. I think it was the Mark Siegels and the you know. I think it was her her high school friend. Um, yeah. The other one. Um, I can't remember. Oh my god, he's a huge. He's huge too. One. This is old age. This yeah, is old right. Age. Mm. This, um, yeah. This. Yeah. You're looking at your future team, mid thirties. This is. Yeah. Uh, this is this not is, fun. This right is dark. I know. Uh-huh. Right. I, I I did go drinking last night, so I'm going to blame it on the brain cells that it killed. Lucha um, Vavoom, though. That's yeah. that's it's worth it. Lucha. Vavoom. Um. So yeah. So um. I think that they must have had some influence because mm-hmm. of the money was coming from the U.S. to Zia. So. Zia wasn't about to kill anybody without their okay. Right. It would just draw um, too much attention at that point. I guess so. I guess so. And he was in their pocket and they didn't want her dead. But that he put her in that, yeah, I can't believe, like jaw locked, not talking for so long that you got to write things down. So crazy. And then she comes out and she's like so eloquent. And, and she's, and she seems, she seems unscathed in yeah, some ways. Yeah. In so many ways, it's just like, it's almost like you paused Benazir 
and then two years goes by and then you just unpause her. Yeah, I feel it's like I don't a know cocoon that, almost. Yeah. Like she came out of this cocoon and I, I love that interview that she gives there because she's so like flirtatious almost with right. this man. She's just, just happy like, to hang out with the dude. Yeah, like, you I know, mean, like, well, no, but in this very like, she's mesmerizing them, you know, she's yeah. like, I don't know what he says to her. And she's like, well, you know, you know, it was just her voice. It's, yeah. The, she's just like the, seducing. The she interview. was yeah, she kind of really, sexy in a lot of ways. She's man. Yeah, yeah. She was very stunning. And I think she, I mean, she didn't lead with it, but there yeah, was, a, there but it was, was there, a, there was an elegance and a, and there, a there was a, there was a maternal, there was a maternal aspect there, but there was also this, there was also like a, well, she well was pretty as all hell. Well-informed yeah. sensuality, if that makes any sense yeah. whatsoever. Well, like, I think her strength was also so attractive, yeah. right? The, the confidence, charming, the, disarming. I think yeah. that I think that certainly helps. Disarming much, is a good word. I think yeah. I think as much as, as as her family and everything else. I think you know if you're going to hard sell a woman to Pakistan during that yeah. time, she's the one. You yeah. know, for for her own for and her to own the qualities. West. Yeah, and, to and to the, to West. the West, absolutely. She's the one to sell. Absolutely. I could know? see her totally charming the pants off of, you know, uh, uh, G.W. Bush or, mm-hmm. you know, H. Walker Bush. And Where everything. it looks like I don't think a brother like Mir could have done it. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, clearly, like, look at the way they went. Yeah. yeah. Which exactly. is, again, like, so like you were saying, I mean, I knew who Benazir was. And um, but as I'm learning, as I'm editing and, you know, reading, you're just like. Are you kidding me? They kill both of her brother. Like mm-hmm. one yeah. brother's poisoned and the other one's killed by her husband. Like it's so nuts. And there's another story that didn't. Ma- Here's one that didn't make it. Like okay. there's certain things that didn't make it. That uh, there's a mustache story. It's called the mustache story. <laughs> um, and apparently, like during her second administration, um, were beforehand when they were running and her brother was running against her. Right, right. When he came back, Zadari. Uh, sorry, the brother Mir invited Zadari to like meet him for something, right? So he goes to this meeting and apparently Mir like and his buddies uh, strap him down or like put him down and cut half his, his shave half his mustache <laughs> off. Huh. Which is like a, extremely emasculating yeah. in Pakistan not yeah. to have one. And so then he like had to shave the other half off. Right. And they, the, the legend is, or you know, um, that that's why Zadari had him killed. Jesus, like that was well, like I the, can't believe like they, the, I can't believe they had the balls to do that in the first place. That well, sounds and, psychotic. And if you watch the funeral footage for Mir, and it's in the film, he has no mustache, Jesus and it's the Christ. only time he, he's on you've ever whatever, yeah, not yeah. having. A mustache. I'm sure he probably stayed like in a bungalow for six weeks. He's got a fake mustache. like a porn stash at the yeah, right. store. and he does look really emasculated, like sitting there without Just one. Like, it looks, yeah, he looks I mean, naked. It's weird. It's one of those cultural things that like you take away a small cultural touchstone like that and, and it, it has an effect man it means something yeah and so i don't think that was the only reason he had him killed but they say that that was like the the straw right. you know kind of zooming out from from budo in general because you i mean you, you it was in many ways uh, uh making budo was i'm sure rewarding in a lot of senses exhausting in another and mm-hmm. sort of i'm sure there's all the, mm-hmm. the full range of emotions yeah. that were there um did you feel like punk singer benefited from your experience on Budo? Like, did that really, do you feel like, do you feel like coming through on the outside, on the other side of Budo and all the stuff that went around that, do you feel like, did you feel like a sense of like, I can do anything at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I always think that. <laughs> like, um, I think I approach things from a perspective of, I, I don't, my failure is not necessarily on my mind. Like, right. and yeah, I mean, maybe early on in my career, it might've been more sure. of a fear. Um, uh, Budo did I mean if anything Bomb it may have started that Because right. Like 
um, don't I think that even though archival speaking, I believe Budo may hold the record in the amount of archival, archival footage, footage in a in a movie. Um, but there was like yeah, you guys or, are longer than Senna, I think. So yeah, yeah, and so yeah. there was like eight or nine hundred hours of graffiti guys like John Reese, the director of that. He's gone on to like make iterations of it, just yeah. bomb it Brazil and bomb it. Japan. It's become a mini franchise on a lot of yeah. Ways. That he's got because there was so much yeah. like even like so me just taking on let's say Brazil would be like, okay. We're gonna pick these four guys in Brazil to be right. to represent Brazil, but he had really seventeen. Jesus, you know that you could profile out of Brazil. So I I was used to having oceans or, of footage of footage, and it just never. I guess it never overwhelmed me. I never looked at it and went, "There's nine hundred hours." It was just like. Brazil. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, I think that's, that that's Well at that point you have an understanding where it's like, well, it can't possibly be the story of all, like the summarized story of all nine hundred hours. So like it's exactly. so it's so evidently not gonna be that. It's like, all right, well let's pick something. Yeah, yeah. And I I've that's where I'm not overwhelmed. I'm I'm sort of like the I can or at least I feel like I, I have a, a talent for seeing mm -hmm. these are the guys that are interesting and differently interesting. You know, we had this like favela guy who would yeah. climb um, he climbed really high buildings in Sao Paulo, like, I don't know, 30 story buildings to, to tag. And, you know, he would say like, well, I'm poor, we're poor. I'm from a favela, but, and I can't climb a mountain, but I can climb that building. Right. You know, he's interesting. And then the other guy was like under the sewers. He was sure. depressed and he's like, if I'm going to be down, I'm going to go all the way down. And he would paint only in the sewers yeah. of, of Sao Paulo, you know, so you pick these very, you know, there were others, but they were so fascinating, sure. you know? Um, so I, to me, that it becomes clear. You know, um, and that's, again, I think vision of being confident in a vision and executing sort of what you see. Do you think like because because after you, you 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 have a career that you do a lot of different stuff, like right now you're doing, uh, you know, you're doing some stuff with uh, uh, Rodriguez's new network. And but prior to that, you've been on Single Ladies on mm -hmm. VH1 for three seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find is it such a start? I mean, I know for me, like when I when I go do stuff that's shot on a stage, I'm working on a talk show right now. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like when you go stuff on shot on stage, do, does it almost feel like a vacation in some ways? It's still hard work, but no, in terms of like having to navigate, do you feel like how, how well do you feel like your work on those docs has informed your, your stuff on narrative? Well, I think everything informs everything. Yeah. Like there's just no two ways about it. Um, but I don't think that, um, I don't know if there's a direct correlation. I, you know, I, it's funny. I feel like there's two camps. There's a lot of like reality editors that mm -hmm. are like, you know, our work is so much harder than a scripted person. Like way, yeah. da, 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 you have no idea. And then, you know, scripted people are like, Oh, we're just too good for reality. Well, I have the, the distinction of, 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 of working in both. They have completely different sets of problems exactly. and issues. One has finite and one has infinite. Yes. And they both create different sets of problems. Right. You know, um, I find I love scripted. I love um, filmmaking in that sense, mm -hmm. you know. And so I I didn't find it a vacation, but I find it exciting. Yes. You know, um, it's just a change. Yeah. It's and. I got to be in Atlanta and we, we edited next to the sets and Tamara allowed me to shadow her whenever I wasn't working. So I was on set quite a bit and, right. um, actually it became, it got to a point where it was quite, um, quite like an honor that they would ask me just right there. Like it, it was sort of a nice, like, Oh, I could do this directing wise because sure. Tamara would say, do you think we have it? Yeah. Well, I have the editor here. Do we have it? 
you know, and yeah. like we're gonna either move on based on what I'm about to say or That's not. Really cool. so, it is cool. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of I got so it actually got me to instill a little bit of confidence in directing mm-hmm. scripted like oh you know and it was kind of a nice way in to go well that's what it's going to look like having a set of people stare at you for an answer <laughs> right exactly <laughs> they know, know what the hell you're doing yeah. yeah you know um but no so i found it really fun and it's refreshing it's a different mm-hmm. kind of of thing that you're look the things you're looking for the things that that you can build performances and right. it's, it's just different animal entirely. No, and you're absolutely right. I was people I've, I've heard both sides of those arguments. I've heard, I've seen a lot of scripted editors just talk endless smack about reality. I didn't even have never done it. And I've seen vice versa. I've seen reality editors go like, Oh God, I, I could, I, you know, Thelma Schumacher has it easy. There's a script. With, there's a script. I mean, come on. And, and it's like, it's comparing running and swimming. Yeah. Three miles in, you're exhausted either way. Like exactly. it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just like, exactly. and what you say about the, the finite versus the infinite, the finite, it's like, yeah, it's like you have three takes. This is it. Make it work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Get another editor. Exactly. Like, make like, it work. That's ah, your what job. What are you going to do? Yeah. The onus is on you. You know, whereas infinite, it's like I have so many. It's it's Hicks law. It's like all this all this stimulation and a, a delayed response time. You know, exactly. it's it's and so you need it's it's working out different parts. It's like mm-hmm. um, again comparing it athletically. It's like uh, you know when I would train for a jujitsu tournament, it's like oh we go running. I've got cardio now, but when you hit the mat, it's a different kind of cardio. Exactly. And yeah. so, but it's it's I always I always try to like take one thing away from a job, like one new trick or one new perspective or one new something away mm-hmm. from a job. And I think especially over the, it's just, it's been fun for me as your friend to just hear all these stories. And it's also fun for me as like, uh, not just a friend, but a fan of your work legit mm-hmm. of to like see not just you grow, but just it, cause again, I don't really see it as growth. I, th- I feel like you've always had these skills. They've always been there and they just get different opportunities to be expressed and you've right. You're, you're and that's real, a very nice way to put it. Yes. You, you're getting, an, and I'm happy to see you get all these different ways to sort of express all of that. Having done both of these films, is there anything? Is there anything you're excited to work on now? Are there any other docs you'd like to? You're working on now that you'd like to talk, or are you just sort of taking um, a break because you've had a sort no, of exhausting. No, well, I will say it's funny. Like right now, working for Robert Rodriguez. Um, I the most recent thing I'm doing is this director's chair series, which. Yeah has turned into like a mini documentary, sure. right? Um, so I did this one about John Carpenter and it's really, that's what it is. I mean, I just took it and that's, we did a cinematic version of events, you know, like we, they're talking, but we cut to all this footage and do all this great stuff. But so anyway, I would listen to the two of them for four hours. It's down to an hour, but I could hear, I could listen to these two men talk all day. They're very inspiring and about how, yeah. how to make films and like just do it. And I mean, nobody's got more of a can-do attitude than Robert Rodriguez as far as like you don't need enough it doesn't matter how much money you're not going to come to him with an excuse of not having enough money like yeah um he will throw El Mariachi at you yeah he (laughs) bam you know and even when he talks about you know he's inspired me like I got to learn camera more because in the edit room it's true like I will say this on single ladies I was a supervising editor I would have editors underneath me right and um yeah, you're not going to get away with anything because I know all the tricks, yeah, right? Like yeah. if you're not, if you're, if you're like, you didn't want to, you did not want to change the song because it was going to be a pain in the ass you to can't look just through bu- more songs. You can't just use the bullshit excuse about rendering. Like it's, yeah, it's exactly. Like, I know it. I've used it. Exactly. And I've told the producers that I know that you yeah. know, like you can't get away with that. And, um, I feel like, uh, you know, I did shoot a short, uh, like a, a pilot for Arlene, uh, and th- 
my DP, you know, he'd be like, oh, this is going to take this much longer. And I do not know why it took that long. And so it was funny, like Robert's like, you have to read every every manual. He said he has a book next to his bed that's, you know, like a Bible size thing on a new camera. Right. And it's I kind of do like if, if I knew camera, then, you know, that guy couldn't have taken an extra two hours when I know it doesn't take that long to light that or, you know, yeah. so I think knowledge that informed knowledge of like the kind of the, the part you don't want to know all the like technical parts. I really th- that I've, I've been inspired to do and and sort of his explanation of how to like direct has inspired certain ideas. So I'm actually more like writing ideas and concepts. There's something around Cuba that I've always wanted to do, but it never, I'm Cuban or, you know, first generation here, but none of the stories that have ever called to me, you know, and something just recently kind of caught my eye. So I'm kind of pursuing it, but it takes that, like, it's not, for me, it's not, I don't know. It's got to like show up yeah. and, and kind of like catch my eye. Yeah. You know, the, the documentary I'm doing now, I was kind of like in the periphery of the story when it was happening. So I almost feel a responsibility to do it, but we all have these, we all have these projects that, you know, it's like, man, that's the one that's the, that's the demon I'm going to chase for the rest of my life mm-hmm. in some way or another until I finally make it. And it's, and certainly inspiring. And I certainly look forward to, anything you do from here on out and uh next time we hang out we won't have microphones in front of our face <laughs> you still have to meet my kid that's yes. kind of ridiculous you haven't met him uh but it's maybe been great. he'll graduate college soon and i can go <laughs> he's it, uh, dude like uh you can make a documentary on kids taking their or parents taking their kids to daycare for, or preschool for the first time and i'd probably cry my way through it oh i know it's awesome but hey um but you're awesome and thank you so much for coming here today and thank you so much for discussing both these films and your work with them and teague do you have anything else for jess no but great and it was a great conversation yeah man it was nice to meet you very nice to meet you nice nice to be here very good we'd love to have you back some other time to discuss other films we do this kind of intermittently on uh, on documentality but we are part of the friends in your head network at friendsyourhead.com join the conversation follow us on twitter friends in com. facebook friends in your head um i'm sorry at twitter at friends in Urhead. There is no dot com. That'd be silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to the website, friendsyourhead.com. Uh, we have a PayPal button on the website, not asking, just saying. Join the conversation. We'd love to have you, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Documentality. Myself, Edward Doty. Uh, T. Christie. Jessica Hernandez. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night. <laughs> it's so cool to hear you do that. <laughs> it's so weird to hear something. I know. Friendsinyourhead.com. <laughs>